0: Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now, here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon.
1: Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today, we have a very exciting show with Brandi Lee. She is here to talk to us about her adoption from Liberia, but she does so many things around the world that we don't know where this conversation is going to go, but we're excited to tell her story. Thank you for being here. Thanks
0: for having me. I'm super excited.
1: So why did you choose adoption, first of all, and why
0: Liberia? I think I've wanted to adopt since I was a little girl. I remember when I was 12 years old, a family friend brought home their little girl at three days old, Madison, and I held her and I think right there. I was like, I know I'm going to adopt someday in the future. So then I, you know, life takes over and you grow up and got married and I had my first two biological kids but I always knew I was gonna adopt in fact I had told my husband that like we are going to adopt one day I don't know where I didn't actually care where Um, we were looking at South America Africa and foster care system but I had super little ones at home. So I started doing research. This was back in 2007. So a lot fewer countries were open. And then there were some countries that are open that aren't now. Right. Um, and I really narrowed in. I had a one-year-old and a three-year-old at home. And so the day Grace turned one, I started the adoption process. And to figure out where it was going to be from. And so we looked at South America. But Colombia was the only one open at the time. And they required staying there two weeks. And I just didn't know if I could bring my one-year-old and three-year-old there. I had never actually left the country before at that point. So I was a little fearful. And then we started looking at Africa. And I had dreamed about Africa since I was little, little, little. When I was five years old, I said I was going to be a missionary farmer. In Africa? Africa? yes. Aww. Which is really good that I'm not, because I think if people's sustenance had to do with my farming ability, we there would be like more, more starvation in the kids. world, right? Yeah, like, would it wouldn't alleviate suffering at all. If you've ever seen me keep anything alive, it's just impossible. <laughs> I, I can barely make my dinner, much less grow it. And so we started. I, like I knew the, that's why I liked you. Yeah, I knew we had something in common. <laughs> that's why we met at Chick Fil A the first time right. we ever got together. <laughs> my favorite restaurant. Uh, So I started looking at Africa, and this is like my dream come true. So I'd wanted to be a missionary at five. Then I'd started reading missionary novels when I was like 11. And I began to read these people's stories. And they so inspired me, their faith and the adventure. Like I just pictured myself in a village with mud huts and thatched roofs. And I wanted to be the kind of girl who would believe God for everything. I remember reading about the missionary—now I can't remember his name. Somebody will know it—in England, and he ran an orphanage. I think it was in the 1800s, and they would have no food. And they would sit down at dinner, and he would have the kids pray and thank God for dinner, even though they had no food. And while they were praying, somebody would knock on the door with dinner. And I remember reading that and saying, like, that's the kind of person I want to be. I want to be that kind of woman who will believe God for everything— and I wanted to go to Africa. So those were the two main things I wanted as a little girl. So here adoption comes along, and it's my opportunity to go to Africa. And at the time, only Ethiopia and Liberia were open. Okay,
1: this is 2007? Yes. Okay. Or
0: they're the only ones I could find, at least. Maybe there were other ones that were open. And I started calling, I called an organization that worked in Ethiopia and their first conversation with me, which I don't actually think represents the organization, but this is what they said to me, was, oh, and you don't even, you get to stay at a five-star hotel and you don't even have to leave the
1: hotel. And I was like, are you serious? Like, you're like, I'm going to be a farmer. Right. How am I going <laughs> to farm in that time? Oh, oh the horror. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I'm like, wait,
0: how am I going to see the mud huts and the thatch roofs and all my dreams come true? So I turned my eyes to Liberia. I am ashamed to admit I didn't know Liberia was a country. I thought they were mispronouncing Libya at the time. My goodness, that's hilarious. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, it is a really small country. So, right. I mean, come on. And so I began to research Liberia and I researched its history And saw um, of the freed blacks who were sent back to Liberia. And then how they enslaved the African people and the long-running civil war that had gone on. And my heart just broke for Liberia. And so I found an organization that worked there. And I knew, before I even started, I knew I would be involved long-term. Because I have these childhood dreams. And how am I going to live them out? just through adoption I knew it would be even more and I would get involved and so I found an organization that said that they did a lot of work and I was like this is perfect I can raise money for them and Signed up for adoption, um, only later to find out they didn't actually do any of that work. So that was fun. Oh, no. But you did get a child through them. Yes. We uh, put our names on the list for a waiting child. And we were looking for a boy. I had a three-year-old boy, biological, and a one-year-old daughter at the time. And so we wanted a two-year-old boy just to fit right there in the center. And we found Davis. His name was Henry Davis um, when he was in Liberia. Which actually, because of his name and it being American, it means he is this descendant of freed African slaves that had been in the U.S.
1: That's amazing. Names are so important. Sometimes people just randomly name their children, but I always say... Think about what God wants to name them because the meanings are so important. And there's a a story. You can tell them a story about their life and who they are. And so that is very cool.
0: And their history. And it was so important for me. I remember in fourth grade reading Uncle Tom's Cabin. Yes. And bawling, like weeping in bed over the issue of slavery. And so here it was so many years later. And that's my son's story which just awakened in me to a heart for the oppressed and for those who had suffered um, through oppression all across the world. So it was really, it was the beginning of the rest of my life, I
1: feel like. So how long after you did your home study were you matched? Okay, these are the things I sh- I'm not supposed to tell adoptive families. I think why because it was so fast. <laughs> oh, oh, that's right. Because everybody's gonna go. Wait a second. I how know, is your adoption so easy? Okay, please, adoptive families who are listening, don't hate me. Or maybe they oh. can go to Liberia. Is it? No, it's, it's, not it's closed open.
0: Oh. for good reason. Okay, it was there. It was a very corrupt process. Oh no. Okay. Yeah. So you waited for a very shor- short, very amount time short amount of time. We accepted his referral. July 9th, the day before his second birthday, which is July 10th. And then we traveled November 28th. Oh, that is fast.
1: And then brought him home?
0: Yep, brought him home. We were in Liberia for a week. I remember stepping off the plane. You had to go. At the time, you couldn't fly directly to Liberia. You can, now, But at the time, you couldn't. And so we had to go to Ghana first. And I remember them opening up the door and me looking across Ghana and feeling like I was home. Like this is my first moment in Africa and all of my dreams are coming true. And so we spent a week in Liberia just going village to village, asking them about their needs and what life is really like and falling in love with the Liberian people and falling in love with Africans in general.
1: I also remember that getting off the plane and landing in Uganda and the smell. Right. It's so different. The that smell. heavy humidity. And you just look around, you see all these different kinds of trees. Mm -hmm. And you either are totally terrified or, in our case, like, this is it. Yes! I finally
0: am here and I love everything. Okay, I hope other people feel this way about the smell because I have people make fun of me all the time. I work in Uganda now, and so three times a year, when I land in Uganda, I just the first thing I do is just breathe in. Like, oh, I love that smell. And it's like red dirt and earth and and humidity and and then refuge refuse yeah I
1: mean usually (laughs) when you take take a deep breath in when you're in the village you're going to just smell burning trash yes so that's not the smell we're talking about we're talking about when you first get there I feel like I love that smell too the burning trash
0: I mean just burning trash but with the like earth and the
1: I mean I don't like the smell of the cities
0: where it's like yeah how but long in the villages, you, I love How it. long
1: do you stay at one time when you go
0: there? Um, not very long, because I am a single mom now. Okay. And so I have my three kids here at home. Now they're 10, 11, and 12.
1: And so I can only go for short bursts. So I go three times a year, but the longest I go is for two weeks. Okay, well, I might like burning trash then, too. Because sometimes when somebody's burning trash here, I'm like, oh. You're yes. Uganda. Uh, yeah. It's when you live there and you're I wouldn't want to it run. as like an air freshener. You're like, I'm going to go run. <laughs> and then you're like, my lungs, I can't. I'm going to die. I mean, I, I'm out of shape, number one. But number right. two, you're like, I'm breathing in, you know, Yes, trash. exactly. <laughs> Egg cartons melting and that kind of stuff. But I do understand <sighs> um, just that feeling of being somewhere that you love so, so much. And I, too, love Africa. And so you got to bring this little boy home. And your children, I mean, you have a, a dream story. Your children just completely gelled together, Mm -hmm. Um, how did Davis do when he first got home? Well,
0: before we were home, he hated me. So our entire trip to Liberia, he wanted nothing to do with me. I remember sitting in the back of this Land Rover and two other much wiser adoptive moms were with me, both of them who had like five to ten adopted kids. And they're like, you need to do just attachment therapy and just hold him and whisper over him that his mama loves him. And he's screaming. It's like 150 million degrees in the middle of Liberia. There's people everywhere watching me. And I'm holding him and he's biting me. And I'm bawling. You shouldn't
1: have to teach a child to love their mother. Because it was your first experience. Oh, yes. It was awful. Oh,
0: no. Was awful. He was
1: two? He was Yep.
0: He was two, almost two and a half. And because the situation was so bad um, with the adoption agency, when I went to pick him up, they were really upset I wasn't staying at the guest house. Because they wanted me to spend money at the guest house, and I didn't want to do that. And so I was being screamed at the moment that I picked him up for the first time. I had this guest house man screaming at me behind me.
1: Oh, because they wanted you to stay there. Yes. Where did you stay? At a hotel. Oh, I see. Okay. So you went we just, to get we don't him. just not want to give any more money. Gotcha. Into the system. <laughs> gotcha. So he he's not bonding to you. No. He has, then that shows Hates he's me. got a very strong personality. Yes. Do you know anything about his back history? Did What happened to his parents? How long was he there?
0: Yeah. He had actually been dropped off at the orphanage, supposedly, according to the story we've been given, um, which can certainly have a lot of holes we have learned and but he had been dropped off just before his birthday so he hadn't been there very long and we got to meet his mom when we were there Um, at the time they were getting ready to shut down Liberia and so the American consulate was requiring birth families to come in for meetings to confirm that it really was the birth family Um, They were doing DNA testing and to confirm that it was a legitimate adoption that the person actually wanted to place their child for adoption. So she did? Yes, she didn't talk very much, um, and we're not really sure why. I think the war had just ended a couple years ago, and she'd been through a lot. The trauma was written all over her face. And all she could say, she was pregnant at the time as well, and all she could say was, please, will he go to school and will he have clean water? Hmm. And that's all she wanted. And we just, I just held her, uh, her name is Rita, and I just held Rita and I said, like, we will honor you. I want you to know that. And he will go to school and he will have clean water, I promise, for all of his days.
1: Do you still talk to her? Um, No, Liberia is a hard place to track people down, so. Gotcha. Wow, what an incredible memory for you to have spent time with her and to be, bringing home this child that she can't take care of.
0: Yeah, it really, it changed my life. And she's a really important part of our story. And Davis says he has three moms. He has his birth mom in Africa. He has me. And now he has a stepmom. And he really honors that. And he holds that with pride. And he has a picture of me with Rita. And we talk about her and we talk about her on Mother's Day and what it meant for her to give up her son because she wanted him to be fed and to go to school. And, and really now with the work I do, I feel like she's my inspiration for all of this because there are moms all across the world who are giving their children up for adoption because they can't feed them and because they can't go to school. And so I want to make it my life's goal to help moms feed their kids. And to help moms know that their babies get to go to school and their babies get to drink clean water and that they'll be okay so that other moms don't have to make the decision Rita did. Because anybody who knows Davis, like, he has the biggest smile of any child on the face of the planet. Like, people adore him instantly. And I cannot even imagine the heartbreak of a woman having
1: to say goodbye to him. And I want to honor her heartbreak for the rest of my days. I remember when I worked in Uganda in an orphanage in Kampala, and this is before I had kids. Mm -hmm. I had a mother's heart, but before you're really a mother-mother, day in and day out, it's totally different how you view children. I mean, you love them and and you want to be with them, but um, you change a lot and you grow up a lot when you become an actual mother And I remember they said to me as I'm caring for all these babies, which was a dream job taking (laughs) care of these babies day in and day out with that, you know, as I was, I got to go home at night, but just all day long. um, And they would have, the babies had been left, you know, the moms had dropped them off, like filled with coats. We'd find coats and then we'd dig through and there's a baby down there. Um, You know, no history. And so they would first try really hard to find the mom or the dad or the family and I always ask, why are you trying to spend all this time, you know, looking for them? They dropped the baby off. And they told me at the time, a baby is actually healthier, um, mentally healthier. If we can find the mom and she agrees to take the baby, but the baby is not t- being well taken care of. So starving on the side of the road, but the baby will actually be healthier to connect with their mother. And I just took that at the time okay, that, you know, that sounds a little weird, but maybe there's a strong connection that keeps them alive and healthy. But now thinking back, now that I have kids, what is your thought on that? Do you think that's true? Okay. So I'm about to say something Uh that's a little bit
0: controversial in the adoption world. Are you guys ready? Just hold on tight. Okay. Um, I don't think adoption is plan A. Okay, so I really do believe that plan A is for mamas to be able to care for their babies, to be healthy enough to do it, to have the resources to do it, that that is plan A. But we live in a world that's full of brokenness. And because of that, the Lord in his infinite wisdom and absolute graciousness provides redemption. One of my favorite new songs is by Kristen DeMarco. It might not be new actually. It's new to me, and it's called Redemption, and she sings, Redemption is so much better than perfection, and I think that we cling to these stories of perfection because that's what we want, but redemption is really what shows the kingdom of God. I mean, Jesus had to come and die, (laughs) and that wasn't, like, great. (laughs) There was nothing awesome about that, but that was redemption, and I think that that's what adoption is, is in our lives. Like, I wish that Rita had gotten to raise Davis. But she didn't and said, this is redemption and it is beautiful and there are no like apologies for it. You know what I mean? But it's the kingdom. And so that's why I work really hard with mamas in Uganda to be able to keep their kids and not only keep them and be able to provide for them, but to know their values so that they can pour out love and care on their babies and really take care of their hearts. Um, But then also we have some child headed households. So we have some kids who have lost both of their parents. Um, Most of them have lost their moms because they couldn't afford surgery. That was going to be like $200, which, I mean, I could just sit with that very fact for a really long time. Um, And these kids didn't have anybody to come alongside. So I think perfect plan would have been for these kids to have a mom that lived, right? Mm -hmm. Mom not dying, best plan. And then second perfect plan would have been maybe an aunt or a family member to come alongside. But that didn't happen for them. And then third plan may have been for a villager, somebody within their community, within their clan, who knows their culture, who speaks their language, all of that, to come alongside them. And all along the way, there's been brokenness. And so now we have nine families that we work with, and they all have different needs. So some of them have had communities come alongside them and be able to take care of the kids. But we have eight children who just nobody stepped up. And so they are all at a primary boarding school. They're in elementary school, even though my oldest is 16. So she's in fourth grade um, because they haven't gone to school off and
1: on. Your oldest child in Uganda. In Uganda.
0: And so I have these eight kiddos. And in ways that only make sense in the kingdom of God and in a story of redemption, I'm mommy. Mommy. And they call me mommy. And when we have, when I have to leave, we are sitting at the airport weeping together. And it's one of those things that I don't think, I don't think this was plan A. I don't think it was, it's like plan Z to have a mom who lives all the way across the world. But it is a story of redemption. And it is a picture of Jesus coming in to our brokenness, no matter where it is in the story, and meeting us there. And for a long time, as an adoptive mom, I really kind of, Held back from that. Like, I had seen all of the people go on missions trips and they're like, I held this baby and it's mine and I'm, this changed my life forever. And they changed their Facebook picture and that's kind of the end of it. And I know I've read When Helping Hurts and now I've run a nonprofit and I've done nonprofit work for the last eight years. And I know the destruction kind of that we can do there. Um, and so I had really held back from this because I didn't want to offer anything if I couldn't offer everything. Like, if you can't be like Davis and live in my house, then I, I don't want to be your mom because am I screwing you over more than I'm helping you at that point? And I remember being at the Refresh Conference, which all adoptive families could go to. Can I plug them? Sure. Refresh Conference in Seattle. Um, I don't know the website, so Google it. Refresh Conference. It's the first weekend of March, and it's put on by Overlake Christian Church, and it's amazing. It's for foster and adoptive families. And I would say for anybody who works with children who've suffered trauma, I mean, it's brilliant and it's authentic and they're really, they're real about the ups and the downs of all of it. And I remember sitting there and I was praying and I would just come back from Uganda and I had my arms raised and I remember Jesus saying to me, will you offer your mama heart to them? And I was like, no, mm, I don't, I don't feel like that's a good plan. Like you should have somebody else. You should have somebody else. He was like, well, yeah, somebody else should have stepped up, but they didn't. So will you offer your mama heart to them? And will you love them like they're your own? So that's been my latest journey in kind of parenting because it's the most painful parenting. I really liken it to a lot of my friends who do foster care. And they have to love these kids. They don't have to. They choose to love children
1: who may not live with them forever. Yeah. Yeah. And- I- I think that it's painful. It's an, it's an interesting, uh, parenting is just painful, right? <laughs> we have to take a short break when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about adoption being plan A, plan B, plan Z, um, all those things, because you're right, it is controversial, because there's a lot it of is. different opinions with that, yeah. um, and so I'm so happy you're here, I'm so happy you have all these great ideas, I'm so happy that you're really showing motherhood to so many different people, and it looks like so many different ways for you, so yes. thank you so much.
0: Thanks for having me. We'll
1: be right back. You're listening to Adoption Now. I'm April Fallon. This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver, broadcasting in HD digital radio and online at 670KLTT.com. Hi, this is April from Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm here with my husband, Noah. What does it mean to be adopted? What does it mean to adopt? Here at Adoption Now, we're answering those questions. We wanted to start a program to give adoption a voice through storytelling. We want the adoption community to be empowered to share openly what they have experienced.
0: That's right, April, but we need your help. November is National Adoption Month, and we're running a fundraising campaign to keep Adoption Now going and reach more people. Would you partner with us? You can do that by visiting our website, adoption-now.com, and clicking the Donate button. We are a nonprofit, and donations are tax-deductible. Let's return to today's broadcast of Adoption Now. Faith and Family Radio, KLT Denver.
1: Welcome back to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. We're talking to Brandi Lee. She shared her story about adopting a little boy from Liberia, falling in love with Africa, fulfilling her dreams of being really a mother to the nations and doing what God is calling her to do, far beyond just bringing children into her home, but also loving and parenting children that are overseas. We talked a little bit before break about what adoption is. Is it plan A? Is it plan B? She talked a little bit about how she feels that adoption is really Plan B. You know, children need to be with their parents and should be staying with their parents, but because we f- live in a broken world, a fallen world, um, you know, we come in and we parent them. And that's controversial. I just want to get to that really quick because a lot of people say, like with Moses, is a very uh, popular uh, adoption story in the Bible, but Moses. Was given up for adoption. So some people view that as that was his plan. That was his journey. That mother was always meant to be his mother, even though he was given up. And we, so applying what you're saying is saying that she should have kept him. But he was called to save an entire nation. Right. And so I lean into what you're saying and I kind of back away from what you're saying only because I can see with my own son this child, yes, out of brokenness, we got him. And he understands that deeply and asks me so many questions already at six. Why don't mommies keep their babies? Mm. You know, and yeah. why, why, why are we here? And I really feel that these children were meant to be my children, destined to be my children. 100%. Even though it's redemption in a way, it's also fulfillment in a way. Mm. So how do those two things kind of go hand in hand?
0: Well, honestly, I think we're probably way above our heads at this point because it's about the sovereignty of God. Exactly. So, so glad you said like, that. yes, this isn't Garden of Eden. And yes, it is God's plan because he knew already he knew the brokenness we would face and already he knew the path he would take to bring redemption and not just redemption that kind of pieces things back together and like glues a broken pot back together. But it still leaks all the time. But redemption and creating a whole new, beautiful, more amazing story. And I really speak of this. From my own life, honestly. I mean, I got married at 19 and I thought I would be married forever. And, you know, the perfect little story. I kissed dating goodbye back in the day. And so married my first boyfriend. And I thought that would be my story. And it wasn't. In 2010, I found myself as a single mom and doing healing work and really seeing brokenness that was so deep it took my breath away. And pain that I had never thought possible. And I had to enter this, this season of experiencing my own brokenness. And experiencing the wounds that were in my soul. And then working through healing. And I don't ever think that that was like God's plan A. He didn't mean for me to have experienced some of the things that I've experienced. But um, But God. But God but he redeems. And all along, I think every moment that I was being wounded, I think he knew his plan for redemption. And I, um, I left in 2010 and accidentally started a nonprofit in 2011 um, called Beauty for Ashes Uganda. And then in 2012, I'm in Uganda and I'm speaking to a thousand single moms and widows. And we're talking about trauma and I said, I know, you're probably thinking, what is this Mzungu, that's a white person in Uganda, what does this Mzungu have to tell me about trauma? Like, you've never had the LRA come through your village. You've never lost a child to malaria. You've never experienced starvation. So what do you know? And I was able to say at that moment, like, you're right. First of all, let's just go ahead and say that. You're right. I have not experienced the same trauma you have. But... I know brokenness. I know abandonment. I know pain so deep it takes your breath away. I know what it is to have people say, like, He turns your morning into dancing and make that feel like a command to get up and dance when all your arms and legs have been broken. And I know the Jesus who lays down in this dirt and who heals us right here. And that's what I can speak about. And later that weekend, one of the Ugandan mamas goes to one of the African leaders and the African leader said what do you what do you think about Brandy speaking and she said oh she said we can listen to her because she knows our pain mm-hmm. and it was at that moment I said I would do it all again every single amount of brokenness I've been through I would sign up for in a heartbeat for the redemption that God had planned for the fact that I get to speak about healing to thousands of women across the globe. And so, was that plan A? No,
1: what I went through was not awesome. But, but it was still a fulfillment. So it's yes, really hard to really balance the sovereignty of God because it isn't plan A because he has this design. Right. But then it's the fulfillment of what you're really supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And I think what I love about you, Brandy, is that you talk very openly, number one, about your heart for loving people. But you love people through brokenness. And sometimes we feel like everything... And I know a lot of parents say this, but everything must be perfect before I start the adoption process. Or what if I adopt a child and I do go through a divorce? Mm -hmm. We've had several people reach out and say, I'm a single mom now. What does this look like? Could I even come on the show and talk? Absolutely, because your heart doesn't change. Right. And even through my own brokenness and through my own life, it's interesting to me that your gifts and your callings are irrevocable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have a lot of work to work through. And yes, it's hard sometimes when you have failed you know, in the public eye or in a way um, the church might think, oh, why did you do this to kind of bounce back and go, I'm still going to minister because I'm (laughs) still valuable because sometimes the the things that happen to us make us feel devalued. And that's what's happening across the world with women. And so we're kind of silenced back into a corner. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't feel good enough. And gosh, will our kids just make it through? That's what we're just hoping. (laughs) And there is a place that God wants to bring you that it's not there. You don't get stuck at, I hope my kids just make it through. You're so valuable. I feel like some people need to hear this, is that as a mom, if you're thinking, I can't talk about my story or my life is in shambles right now or, you know, and it's through an adoption or or just through that mother heart that you're feeling broken, God really wants to take you on a journey of healing yeah. and uh, redemption. Being redeemed, redeeming something means bringing it back to original form. And like Brandy said, it's not just like glued together. Yeah. You do have some scars, though. I mean, you do have some wounds. Everyone does. But you're so functionable. And really, honestly, if you let God do what he needs to do and you silence all those other voices, you can become stronger and better and see things that you didn't see before. Like you said, if you hadn't been through all that, you couldn't reach those women like that. And now you're in this purpose that God has for you. Yeah. Oh, man, I just... That just makes my heart hurt because you know that there are people listening
0: right now who just feel like it's a hot mess and this is ridiculous and it's not going well. And I just want to talk to you right there if that's how you feel. And I want you to know that you are loved. Oh, sweet one, you are loved. No matter what kind of pain you're in, no matter how much you think you were a part of it, no matter if it's this child who's come into your house and you do not know what to do, you don't know the first thing about healing or whatever it is that's brought you to this moment. You are loved. That is the strongest truth. It is the realest thing you can know is that you are loved and you are worth loving. You're not just loved because God's like, I love you, even though you're kind of a piece of crap. That's, that's not what he thinks. He looks at you and he sees the image of God. You were created and he said, it is good. And he loves you, and you don't have to be all put together. It doesn't have to be perfect. He loves you right where you are. And your pain, it matters. And the wounds of your heart, they are maybe calling out because you just desire healing in your most inmost being. And I really believe as adoptive parents, we've got to go there so our kids can go there. Like We cannot look at hurting kids across the world and be like, you should heal, even though we know the horrific things you've been through, unless we are also Mm -hmm. leading the way and we're willing to say, and you know what, baby, I'm going to face my stuff too, Mm -hmm. because all of us have walked through brokenness. It can be big T trauma where you've been given up for adoption, right? And the things that our adoptive kids have gone through to get to this point, or it can be little T trauma. There's little things that happen all around the world because the enemy is prowling around to seek and kill and destroy. So he's always trying to lie to you and you are being wounded and your wounds matter, even if you don't need to compare it to maybe even what your kid has gone through. But you need to say, am I willing to face this? Am I willing to walk to healing? Because only when I walk to healing, can I then encourage and lead the way for others to walk to
1: healing. That is so true. I think one thing that we can agree on is that adoption is birth out of brokenness and loss. Yeah. No matter what, um, going into it is—if you have a heart for it—you probably endured some brokenness and loss to it. Kind of attracts all these things <laughs> <laughs> on either part, yeah. and you, we have the ability as adoptive parents to really face our own yeah. issues and love our children so deeply. I, I love that you're saying this, Brandy, because I noticed with my son, I've been talking about this on almost every show lately as he came up to me and said, you know, was I in your tummy and where is that mom? If I wasn't in your tummy, where's that mom? And why do mommies give their babies up? I mean, the the look on his face was, why would anyone give children up? Babies are the best thing ever. And I thought to myself, it, it brought up so many of my own issues sure. I thought this was going to be easy to tell the truth. And I thought for a second, just tell him he's a birth child, even though he's (laughs) Um, African-American. I feel like he would figure it out. I'm just throwing it out. Yeah. I don't know. I just wanted to like, it's painful. It was painful for him to to realize this. It was painful for me to see him going through that. It was painful for me to think about loss and abandonment in my own life and how I process that as a child. And I thought to myself, this is so beautiful to God. Because of my brokenness and because of what I have gone through. And if I'm willing to go away from this and really do my work, I can help him understand. And he's not alone. Honey, I know that this is your story. Let me tell you about my story. Mm. We're just going to be really open in this family. And there are going to be days that we're confused at certain things that have happened to us. But this is a safe place for you to talk. Right? And let me get beyond and you know your friends with Dana who we had on the story or on our show and she told her story about adopting 13 children. Right. But she's, she's amazing, tough. isn't she? She is amazing because she deals with her own stuff. Right? She's going to lead our venture we're starting Beauty Fresh's Democratic Republic of Congo
0: next year and she and another adoptive mom Kara Brown are going to lead it together.
1: Yeah, she's amazing. She's on iTunes if you want to listen yeah. to her story. Listen to it. But she talks about finding her own brokenness through parenting. And it's scary, parents, to do that. Let me tell you, you feel like you lose a little bit of control. But if you've gone through an adoption, you've probably lost control along the way. (laughs) You're just used to it, right? (laughs) You're so used to it. So really seeking out, how can I find, first of all, other adoptive parents that I trust, a safe place? And how can we not paint this adoption story to be, oh, my goodness, it's just perfect. Everything's great. My kids are doing great. But your kids never talk about their adoption. Then they're stuffing stuff down and you're stuffing stuff down. I so know. let's get it out. And it's hard at first, but don't you agree? Oh. I mean, the place yeah. that we're in with our son right now is totally different. When he started, I wanted to shut it down. Like, let's not talk about it, honey. Let's not do that. Let's it's not talk. fine.
0: Just and I felt
1: God say to me, don't you dare shut him down. Because if you tell him that this is in a safe place, where where's he going to go? He's going to go somewhere else to talk about it. Or you're going to see it come out in other ways. Yep. So I had to go back to him and say, hey, Hey, let's talk about that again. Sit down. Do you have any questions? And, you know, all three, I had all three of them. Now my youngest is 18 months. She was like, she just wanted peanut butter in her hair. (laughs) But I want to start them off young. Like we can talk about this and mommy's not afraid. And you might see mommy cry and that's okay. Yes. And you might cry. It's really bringing yourself down to a different level. And you're still, you're still parenting. You're still the mom. Yeah. You're just
0: showing them the example, just like in anything else we're teaching them. We're going to pave the path. And that means my kids know I'm in therapy. I'm going to therapy again tomorrow. My kids know it. And they know when mommy goes see, to see Miss Robin, it's a good thing. And my kids are in therapy. And they love Miss Suzanne. And their friends are in therapy. And so we begin to normalize healing and also normalize, hey, guess what? None of us are pretending here. We all live in a broken world. We all face brokenness. And I think that's one of the hard things. Sometimes in adoptive families, if we try to make it look perfect, that adopted kiddo who knows that they've been through the ringer, they're like, well, I guess I'm the only one then. I guess I'm the broken one in the family. Instead of saying, hey, guess what? We are all broken because we live in a fallen world. But guess what? That's not where the story stops. Because we have a good God who enters our brokenness and who brings healing and who brings redemption, who creates beauty out of ashes. And if we model that for our kids, and this is just our adoptive kids, if we model that for all of our kids, what will the world look like? Mm-hmm. That so much of the
1: trauma and brokenness in the
0: world is because we're not
1: seeking healing. Mm-hmm. I also think that sometimes, if you are focusing on building a family that looks perfect, you're focused on your children, your home, your mm-hmm. family, and I I do think it's good to put all you know your family first because in ministry sometimes it can happen the opposite. Sure. But I will encourage you if you start living a life that's very open with your children, you start loving other people's children. Mm-hmm. You start loving. Now your we're getting goodness. dangerous. <laughs> you start bringing in. Other children that need healing. Because you you become safe.
0: You become safe. You become safe for the wounded. I think the biggest thing that happened from my story when I really began to seek healing for myself is people showed up on my doorstep. Strangers call me now. And so I run kind of the Uganda program in Uganda, obviously. Do that via Facebook and email and Skype and WhatsApp and all of that. But really, what I do here in the States is women come from all over the world and they call me and say, What does it look like to walk through healing? Can I tell you my story of sexual violation? I do a lot of that. Um, Because once you do your healing work, you become a safe place to just say, I can just tell you what I've learned. And I'm not trying to fix you, I'm not trying to make you perfect because I'm trying to be perfect. I'm just willing to walk alongside you. One of my favorite passages in Jeremiah is when Jeremiah creates cities of refuge. And I was just talking to a friend of mine, Kristen, about this. And what would it look like if we as believers became cities of refuge? What if we became the safe places to land, not just for our family, but starting with our family and then being a safe place in a broken world? Because this world is looking for safety. And they are looking for people to be authentic with their own brokenness. They don't need you to have the answers. In fact, if you have the answers to someone else's problems, you're basically telling them they're stupid and they couldn't figure it out themselves. (laughs) They don't need the answers. They just need a safe place to land and someone who will hold them in the midst of the
1: hurt. And then maybe will point them to a God who adores them more than anything. That is one important thing that I learned is that people don't want answers. Yes. They just want you to love them and listen. And sometimes you can chat about your life with them and they will get answers from your story. But it's them making that decision. I think in ministry, sometimes we're looked at as ministers to have all the answers, tell people what they're gonna do, let me pray to God. And then we get (laughs) into the system where they're dependent on us because now we're telling them what to do and it becomes completely healthy and God eventually breaks it and it becomes a tornado of a disaster. And so empowering people to not only know that there's healing but also giving them the freedom to come to their own healing is the best place to be in. And even parenting, I'm applying that to parenting because I'd like to tell my kids, hey guys, don't do this.
0: This is exactly this. what you should do. Yes. I have all
1: the answers. <laughs> and it takes a lot of patience to sit with them and say, what do you think? What? How do you feel? And they can come to their own conclusion. It takes time. But when they get there, they hold on to it faster because it's their idea, not yours.
0: Yes. And it takes giving up control, the other scary thing. Yeah. But when I was doing my healing work initially, I read through my Bible three times in the first year. And so I was reading these large chunks of scripture, and really I felt like for the first time I'd been following Jesus since I was five. But for the first time, I was seeing more the character of God instead of just stories. And I began to see how scandalous he was and the things he suggested. I mean, God told Abraham to kill his kid. I'm sorry, but they're right there. I'm out of advice. Because if Abraham had come to me and said, so I'm pretty sure God told me to kill Isaac, I would have been like, yeah, no, no. So
1: we're going to take you over here to this little hospital, and you're not going to do that. Right. <laughs> or Elijah. We're calling social services on you, Abraham. Immediately. <laughs> uh, or Elijah
0: being told by God to go into the mountains, but don't worry, the ravens will feed you for the next 30 days. I'd been like, so maybe we should
1: pack a couple sandwiches just in case. Right.
0: And I would have been wrong. Over and over and over again, the advice I would have given to the saints would have been wrong. Would we have been the ones that Abraham and Sarah, after God had promised them that they were going to have a baby at Sarah's like 89th birthday, would have been like, So we thought we were going to throw you a baby shower because we know God's going to answer. No. Right. So many times we'd be like, So Sarah, do you think maybe like you should just lay that down? And what it taught me is that I don't have the answers and I don't have to. Mm -hmm. I have no advice. My advice is ask Jesus, pursue Jesus, pursue
1: wholeness, pursue beauty. And I will stand with you and I will affirm it in you. That's exactly what we want the show to be, is that we don't have the answers. We're just sharing stories. Right. And if you don't feel alone, then our goal is reached. If you feel this is a comfortable, safe place for you to be in with your children or in your process, then mm-hmm. then we've done it. Mm-hmm. Because we're not here to tell you as you just mentioned, every single story is different. I mean, you never see one person say, well, then I followed what Abraham did. So then I tried to kill my kid. Because <laughs> Please don't. You, we're not encouraging that. We're not that. encouraging just that. FYI. That's not what adoption that was about. <laughs> but what we're doing is just saying every story is individual. Yeah. Every child is individual. But please, as parents try as hard as you can to be real mm. and this is the place that we're in right now in adoption in this world today 10 years ago was totally different 20 years ago what we were seeing is that we're stuffing it down but now what's happening is you're watching these adults say I never was able to talk about it or I don't really know who I'm so lost as an adult or who am I what was my story I don't know anything." And so we're seeing that stuffing it down and pretending to be something that we're not or pretending that adoption didn't happen or not letting our children process is actually causing them to be very confused adults. So we're, we're trying to fix that now and saying, hey, let's create open places. But through that, God is working on us as parents and really wanting us to heal. I always say adoption saved my life. Yeah. Because otherwise I would just be 100%. closed. 100 Or you wouldn't know what you have in there until you have children. Yeah. Probably parenting, people can say that as well. For bio kids, too. You have bio kids. Sure. But I'm just so thankful that you came on the show. I didn't know what, what direction we were going to take. And I'm so thankful that you have a family that is open. It's not perfect.
0: Nope. We, there is no perfection here, but there is no desire for perfection because redemption is better than perfection. I would rather them see Jesus than see Brandy doing a really great job. Because if that's what they're going to look for, you're going to see me screw up. But if maybe you can see
1: Jesus through the cracks, then that is beautiful. I'm going to put your picture on Facebook, your family, your adorable son. And what are your other two kids' names? Brayden and
0: Grace. Brayden is my 12-year-old, funniest child on the face of the planet. And Grace is my 10-year-old, and she just has such a tender heart. She can tell you about every village we work in in Uganda and can't wait to get there herself.
1: Brandy, thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you? They
0: can find us on beautyforashesuganda.org or by searching Beauty for Ashes Uganda on Facebook or Instagram. And I personally am at Brandy
1: Lee on Instagram or Facebook. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook. And remember, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thank you for tuning in to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week.